You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. We do the first part of the chapter because there's plenty to talk about. <laughs> We're now in the, in the uh, real practical stuff, so let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this Lord's Day and the chance to gather as your people. Thank you for calling us to yourself and to each other. And Lord, we just pray that um, that everything that uh, happens today uh, would bring you glory and would build up your people. And Lord, we pray that maybe there would be someone today who crosses over from death to life, that their heart is awakened by your Holy Spirit and they come to repent and believe the gospel. Lord, we pray that today would be the day for someone. Um, and so, uh, God, we just pray for this particular conversation as we continue to try to understand ourselves better and uh, understand what, what sin has done to us and done to our relationships and, and how we don't always see and interpret things rightly and how we can help one another. So Lord, we just pray this discussion of conscience would really serve us well uh, now and uh, on into the future of our church and, and whatever ministries you have for us, Lord, that there would just be an understanding of how uh, to help people, how to understand ourselves. Um, and Lord, so we, we just ask that your, this book and ultimately your, your spirit by your word would shape us and strengthen us and encourage us and unite us. We ask these things in your name, amen. Oh, what? How to, how to mute me? Oh, okay. Okay, let me uh, find the page here. Uh, page 83, 84. Um, I expect that we'll probably spend most of our time on 94 just because that chart has a lot of things in it. And he's really just setting up in these first few pages this, uh, this chart so that we can then kind of have a framework for understanding where we are and, and how uh, the scriptures speak, particularly on the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols. I think it's I think it's really helpful. So um, first of all, on page five he or uh, uh, page eighty five he gives the the term theological triage. Theological triage uh, is that a term you're familiar with? Have you ever heard? There's a lot of talk about theological theological triage right now, which is good. Um, did that concept make sense? Any highlights there or questions? It seems to make sense uh, to me, but it seems inadequate. With I don't know what else you would use. Um, because if you, uh, you know, you get your three tier, tiers mixed up, you know, if you somehow get your theology where Jesus is, God on a second level tour and you get one of your third level ones rises up to a first level tier which I I think can happen quite easily you, you know what I'm saying yes. what happens when Jesus as God kind of becomes a second level you know yeah I think that that's a valid point I think that even the even the the triage has to be depends on what the person's 
main authority is because um, certain things will ha come up in different ways yeah and then if you don't have the same authority like if say you know a Protestant it's the Bible and a Catholic it'd be something like the church in the Bible you're not going to be able to agree on what the triage is going to be um, so yeah I, I think that it it's very helpful, but yeah, if you don't realize that you have to have agreement on what's going to structure those, yeah, you have a huge problem. Yeah, so just to explain the triage ideas, it's like medical triage on the battlefield or in the emergency room. Um, certain things require priority over other things. So the person who comes in with a broken toe versus someone who's in the middle of a massive heart attack, um, the massive heart attack is going to jump ahead of the line over the broken toe um, because that's a more critical uh, thing. Now they both both need care, but they there's a there's a triaging there, and particularly like on the battlefield, uh, if a medic only has so many resources, uh, they need to uh, try to figure out where they can do the most good and save the most lives, and so they have to prioritize certain things. And so I think the the image is helpful; it doesn't fix everything, but at least gives us I think some helpful categories um, to then identify that, hey, I think this person's making a third order issue a first order issue. Okay, so now I know how to pray for him better. Or uh, there's some sort of first order issue that seems like it's not even on the map for them. And so um, uh, I think it at least gives us a, a framework for understanding ourselves and for um, maybe um, being able to diagnose maybe where we're going off or where our conflict lies with another person. Um, so the first order, um, the first importance, the first order, uh, top level of the theological triage are those things that you must believe to be a Christian. Um, so you are missing any of those and you simply cannot be recognized as a Christian. So like Jesus being God, that has to be in there. Um, Jesus's resurrection. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I delivered to you a first importance. So even Paul is saying that not all doctrine is important, but this is of first importance. Um, so, and then he lists off, um, uh, you know, the, the essence of the gospel there. So second level issues are those that you could be a Christian, but it would be really hard to be in the same church together. Is a, I think a helpful way to try to think of that one. So, um, so second level issues like for, um, for us might be like, like, um, boy, it always gets tricky, like the inerrancy of scripture. I think someone could probably believe the right doctrines, but the inerrancy of scripture would be something that if someone was denying that, they would have a hard time being in our church. But I do think there are believers who have, who, who, uh, who think the Bible may have errors and may still be genuine Christians. Um, can you guys think of, uh, um, and then the third level issues are those things that you can have happy fellowship in, like, uh, exactly how the end times is going to play out. Um, uh, I think that some of the spiritual gifts, although that can rise to second level issues, depend uh, second level, and I think even some Pentecostals would make that a first order issue that unless you're speaking in tongues, you're not saved. So, but I think, uh, I think that should be in the third level. And then there's probably even a level beyond that that's almost like, it's not even really discussing, you know. Um, so, um, can you think of, can you guys give, just give some examples of some first level issues? I gave a couple, but what might be some others you think of like, man, 
if a person denies this, I don't think they're a Christian. Let's give some examples. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Yeah, I'd say that, you know, the Trinity, denying the Trinity. God is creator. That, that we are created and he is the creator. That we are sinful. Mm-hmm. that somehow we can redeem ourselves, um, that there's something within us that can be good, uh, be acceptable to God, that there's something good in us in, inherently beside God, besides. I think those things would be fall in that category. Yeah, they all have to do with salvation for sure, so. I think with the, you said like that God is creator. And I think that, I do think you probably have to believe that to be a Christian, but I do think that some people might differ on exactly how he created and that that might be a little farther back then. Terry and I relocated so Dylan could practice. Good. Um, so it gets trickier. The first order issues are a little easier. Resurrection, the return of Jesus, um, grace through faith, uh, salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. Those would all be kind of first order issues uh, that to, uh, to surrender any of those is to really call into question seriously that if uh, someone is genuinely saved. So it gets trickier as we go down to second level because these they get more debatable as you go down. But what would be some second tier issues? Like they don't rise to the level of salvation. Like you get this wrong. I don't think you're out of the kingdom. But it would be hard to have fellowship with. Like it, it would be hard to unite in mission around this. So what would be some second tier issues? Baptism, whether you do infant baptism or uh, believer's baptism. Right. Sanctity of life. What do you mean? Sanctity of life, um, that life has value. Abortion issues. Okay. That, that that one is a tough one about where that falls in that tier for me. You know, I, I know where it is, but I don't know that it's right to be there, you know. Sure. And yeah, and the idea, could you be in the same church with someone who has a different calculation on that? 
Yeah. 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 Baptism is kind of the the most obvious one, as just as a Baptist church, and that. So, there are some churches that try to practice both. I, I just it's hard for me to figure out how that goes long term. So, so good. There's good Presbyterian and Lutheran, and even though there's some other denominations that I would happily partner in many things, but it would be hard for us to hard for us to uh, to do the mechanics of ministry together because we would just be coming from different places. And uh, baptism is so central to the work of the church, you know, that, um, yeah, that it, it might require different fellowships while still affirming one another's commitment to Jesus, if that makes sense. So, so that's an obvious one. That's a good one. Transubstantiation. Okay. The communion host and everything like that. Okay. So would that be a first order or second order? Okay. I think that's second. Yeah. But that just leads to a whole bigger thing that then becomes first. I right. Think it's exactly. just a signal of, hey, there's other underlying issues. We need to start looking at other things to see if they all point the right way. If not, then this is just a effect of a bigger cause. Yeah, and on that one in particular, transubstantiation is the idea that at the Lord's Supper, the uh, the bread and wine become the actual physical body and blood of Jesus. And so you would have to diagnose that a little bit to see if it's a first or second order. Because if they're thinking that Christ is being re-sacrificed every time, then that sense that Christ died once for sin, it would, would call into question where they're putting their confidence. So it could be a first order, actually. And I would say probably a lot of the reformers thought that that was a first order. So yeah, kind of depending on how, how, what the person means when they're saying they affirm that could definitely be first or second tier. So that brings up a good point that I think there often is a point, uh, an issue behind the issue, you know, like um, uh, complementarianism versus egalitarianism, whether women can be pastors and things like that. I mean, the issue is not so much the role of women as what you have to do to interpret scripture to get there. And so it's kind of almost like the authority of scripture or the inerrancy of scripture or something like that. That's the issue more than um, exactly how the women in the church are, are operating, I guess. So, um, so sometimes it's like, you're making a big deal out of something that shouldn't be a big deal, but it's actually not the thing that's the big deal. It's the, the, the issue behind it, I guess. It's like a symptom almost. Of yeah. Underlying sickness. Right, right. Yeah, and these doctrines hang together. That's what makes them tricky too, is that depending on how hard you press a second tier issue, it can then feed into first tier issues. Like the baptism thing, for instance, if you believe that baptism is necessary to be saved, well, now you've gotten into a first order issue because it's no longer by grace through faith anymore. You're adding to the gospel and that's a Galatians tells us that's a bad thing. So you've now taken a second tier issue and made it a first tier issue in such a way that it's hard to affirm your Christianity now <laughs> because you're changing the gospel. Um, the complementarian one's a good one, whether women can be pastors or not. Uh, that's a good one because people can believe differently on that and be genuine Christians for sure, no question. But your, your church has to decide, will they have women pastors or not? So it's hard to... Um, unite it's hard to have both it's hard to affirm both of those things in the same church 
and last more than a little bit of time without serious conflict. So people that would disagree on that could be genuine believers, but they probably are going to need separate fellowships because they just, they're just, um, you either will have women pastors or you won't. And so uh, there's just a clear break there. So that one's maybe even clearer than the baptism one. I think a lot of the second tier issues have to do with at a leadership level because you can have plenty of folks in a church that don't agree with everything that's taught. They, they agree with enough that they can stay, but certain issues, especially at a leadership level, you just can't, you gotta, yeah, you gotta come down on something. So you could have in a predominantly say egalitarian church or sorry, complementary complementarian church, you know, folks who are like, well, we're egalitarian, but you know, how long they'd feel comfortable would be one thing, but, um, but I think that ultimately churches have to kind of decide, yeah, what, what they're going to organize around and what they think is m the most critical things. Cause I, like in the Presbyterian churches, for example, the elders have to agree on a certain number of things in particular, but the congregation doesn't have to hold to the whole Westminster confession of faith, for example. Mm. Um, so they, they make a distinction sort of at the leadership versus at the lay level as far as the direction of the church so yeah yeah so the church has to pick a lane but yeah within the congregation there may be some working out of those second tier issues that mm -hmm. that may still allow you to do that but your church has to pick a pick a pick a lane has, has to pick yeah. a way to go according to the scriptures and yeah. um, you can't really disciple say families and be like well we're not sure it's complementarian egalitarian you know like you kind of are going to encourage people <laughs> in particular ways of living out the Christian faith. <laughs> right. uh, so. So yeah, a big part of the membership process is doing that. And that's why you have a statement of faith is that you're outlining your first and second tier issues. And largely your third tier issues should be probably left out for the most part in your statement of faith. Um, I, I, inevitably, you're going to be having kind of them all intermixed together. It's just because that's how they are in scripture. But that's a big part of it is, is then surfacing as you interview people for membership and as you're sharing about your statement of faith, just bringing up of going, oh, um, you know, for them, speaking of tongues is a first order issue. They're going to have a hard time in this church. And that's probably better for them to figure out now than a year from now and leave on bad terms, but just to go, we will not say that someone has to do that. That's just, this is just not that church. And then others might go, well, I believe that I don't, I don't believe in the Trinity, um, I'm kind of a oneness person who uh, who doesn't believe in the Trinity. I, I love Jesus and all this stuff, and just be like, this is not 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 the church for you. Like we can't affirm your faith and membership because we think that um, that 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 oneness um, doctrine strikes at the heart of the gospel by denying the Trinity. Um, so that's where those things work out. And what I've found is that I think that most people kind of they grow up in a tradition. Uh, but a lot of times they're not necessarily well taught. Like they kind of hold something so they've sort of, because they've kind of in, inherited it. Um, but they don't necessarily hold it convictionally. So sometimes it just takes the patient teaching of God's word of like, I just, you know, I just always grew up in a, you know, a certain tradition and just never really even thought about the fact that women shouldn't be pastors or, you know, whatever, that there were different opinions on this. And so Sometimes someone holds a fairly concerning doctrine, but you just talk with them and then go, you know, it's, 
this is um, so it, it takes a lot of pastoral wisdom and I guess even just Christian wisdom to hear what people are saying, but then understand exactly how they're putting it together because a lot of people hold beliefs that they don't really even know they hold <laughs> and have just inherited certain things without really thinking about it. And they're not trying to be adversarial. They just, I just haven't had the scriptures well taught to them, you know? So um, anyway, I'm talking a lot right there, but this is a kind of a big, a big thing here. So what about a third tier issue? Can you think of like a third tier issue where Christians could be in the same church under the same leadership and disagree, but still have, you know, just real solid fellowship, but maybe even would disagree sharply, but could have community with one another. Carpet color. Carpet color. That might not even be a third tier, <laughs> but good, good example. I think the, the end times, I think is one. Just like, yeah, your view of the end times. How old the earth is, okay. I would agree, I'd put that in the third tier. Tithing, yep, whether the tithe is required or if it's. Right, right, yep, that's a good example. I think the end times is always an obvious one. Is there a rapture? Is there a tribulation? Exactly what's the nature of the millennium? Um, you can have, I think, friendly discourse within that. Um, and, and hold your positions solidly. The idea is not to be squishy on what you believe. The idea is to be charitable in how you hold them, understanding that the Bible is not always as clear as we might think it is on some of those issues. So. What kind of schooling option you choose for your kids? I wouldn't make that a matter of fellowship. That wouldn't be in our church covenant or statement of faith. Um, for some, it would be, Brie and I were talking about that last night. For some, if you're not homeschooling your children, you will not be a member of this church. And it's just, well, um, I'm unwilling to do that. So, um, yeah, any others, Krista? Any, any come to your mind in terms of like a third tier category? Yeah, I don't, well, I was, the, the chapter before kind of talked about, like, drinking alcohol and tattoos. I don't know if that would be third level or, like, maybe even further down, but something like that. I think the biggest challenge on the church level is probably the second tier. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the most challenging, I think, pastorally. Uh, because to some people, it feels like your view on baptism or your view on complementarian, that you're making it a first order issue, that you're saying they're not a Christian um, when that's not what you're saying. But it's not just a grab bag, like, you know, we, we land somewhere. You know, I think on the member level, like just the relational level, those third tier issues, because they want to creep up to second tier issues, I think, quite a bit. Um, and so I think those third tier often are things that, um, how can that person be in our church when I know that they, they have a beer once a week or something like, uh, you know, I, I just not sure if we can be in the same church if that, if that kind of thing's happening or whatever. And so, all right, any highlights or questions there before we move kind of towards the chart? I think one thing I was just thinking with a number of these issues, second and third tier in particular, is that often some people 
hold the position because they think that if you don't hold this, something will automatically happen later. Um, and I think that that's sometimes also another tricky thing. It's kind of like what Bree said, that there's something, there's an issue behind an issue. And I think that oftentimes people do hold the, some of these positions because they think it guards against falling into something that isn't actually what they're talking about at the moment. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's another just a. sometimes people hold positions because they're afraid that if they don't hold this position, they'll end up where they don't want to be. Uh, and I right. think that's another thing that's tricky. Right. Yeah, that's the um, that's the argument the Gospel Coalition makes on being complementarian is that the interpretive framework that you bring to the Bible um, to sort of um, affirm women as being pastors, if you are consistent with that interpretive principle, then you really are threatening other doctrines. The way of reading your Bible that allows you to get to that spot is going to be problematic on other first order things. And so they've made that kind of a boundary marker for their organization. And uh, that's probably debatable in and of itself. But I think that, you know, the idea that the way you're reading your Bible to get to that second level conclusion will eventually, if you're consistent, create problems in your first order interpretations. So, and that's, that's now we're getting into the deep waters that theologians, you know, have been debating with for centuries. So whether some of those second tier issues really do guard first order issues as strongly as we think or not. Um, so. Where do you put some of the flattering arguments, especially in the that on the surface tends to look to be a, a second tier issue? Mm -hmm. But as you're talking with them, they have no clue really what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So then does that drop down or does that go up? Or how do you? How do they move between them? How do you move them between the tiers? What as you in terms can, of the urgency of what exactly as yeah. you kind of unearth what the discussion's about, how much someone may say, I know this much about this, but they actually only know this little bit of much. Right. Yeah. So does it move down? Right. I mean, how do you yeah, they're kind of overestimating their their <laughs> knowledge of a topic? I think, you know, if you can just get sit down and read the Bible with them, I'm like, hey can we just read Galatians here? You know, just depending on what the issue is or maybe some sort of book and let's just consider that maybe there's another way of viewing this. And then I think praying that the Holy Spirit will persuade them of the word. Let the word do the work, you know? Um, so I think that's what I would try to do. And just depending on exactly what I think they're doing, it might increase my urgency of just like, oh, they're, you know, their understanding of the gospel is flawed. Like their souls are in peril. Sometimes you hear and you go, okay, it sounds threatening on the surface, but really they just, they just haven't read very much here and they just use the wrong word. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they just aren't, you know, they just aren't up on the Christian lingo or theological lingo and they just use the wrong word. So they actually said something very heretical and concerning, but having talked to them, I understand that they just, you know, they're not. <laughs> this is a believer that loves Jesus who just, you know, who just needs some more instruction. So, um, but I think just patient conversation and the word, the word doing the work is a, a big part of it. So. Other thoughts? I appreciate it on the second paragraph, page 87. He said, we should expect disagreements with fellow Christians about third level matters. And we should learn to live with those differences. Christians don't always need to eliminate differences, but they should always seek to glorify God by loving each other in their differences. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, just 
the expectation that you'll disagree on things um, is is good to have because I think um, I don't know. I guess I just grew up thinking everybody had the same opinions about things um, if you were in church together, and that's just not true. And so being able to expect disagreements on lower level things, I think, is a, is a good uh, mindset to have. Yeah, because then when they do disagree on something, it's not this huge, like, oh my gosh, you don't believe in the Lord. It's like, okay, we don't agree on this. Let's figure out maybe why. <laughs> yep. I think, um, yeah, like uh, Mr. Brown raised the question of abortion, and I think that that's, like, I think the Bible is clear on on that. I think what's not clear is, does that mean that if you don't vote a certain way, that that suddenly, uh, or depending on how you vote, affects your status in the church? You know, I think that that's a tricky, that's a really tricky one. Um, because I think the Bible is clear on abortion, but the Bible's not necessarily clear on how we ought to vote uh, necessarily. Um, so I think the political parties, it gets into the, like some real tricky issues um, on all sorts of things. But I think that that's, um, that's one that I kind of been wrestling with as far as like, what does it look like for Christians if they don't all agree on some of these things um, in a church, what, that, what does that look like? Because <laughs> um, politics is, can get heated pretty quickly because they are often very important matters like, say, abortion. Um, right. Right. I think that, I think that's a, you know, um, you know, if someone is coming to faith in Jesus and it's like, okay, I'm going to share with them the gospel. Abortion might not, might not come up in that conversation as an essential, like you have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that life begins at conception. Um, so I don't know that I'd put it first order, but, I, but there is some implications for that, that you would want to disciple them rather quickly to understand like the implications of the gospel necessarily say um, certain things. And the scriptures are not silent on these things now i think christians can disagree and need to be careful and i think this is where this needs to be third tier in how they address violations of that so we need to have room i think for someone to go you know what i only vote for pro-life candidates like this is just the only this is a this is a non-negotiable if they deny this i'm not voting for them okay great that's a consistent strategy to try to uh, apply your theological persuasion However, I do think that there needs to be room that if someone goes, you know what, I'm going to vote for this pro-choice candidate, not because I affirm abortion, but just because I know that no one candidate has ever been able to overthrow Roe v. Wade. Um, so they may say whatever they want, but no one has been able to deliver on that. Um, and so because they're going to be able to do good in all these other ways, I'm going to vote for them. And I think there needs to be room for that person to, to, to go, I think to disagree on strategy. Um, I've had some people tell me that they don't believe that I'm a true pastor or even a Christian because I haven't picketed abortion clinics enough or that I haven't posted online enough about it. And it's just like, I just don't think that that's a require. I just, to me, I'm not persuaded that's the best strategy, but I think that, you know, for some people they are, and uh, I wanna leave freedom for strategy things without all of a sudden making the mark of their faithfulness has to be this, 
application of that doctrine. Does that make sense? So someone who says, yeah, I'll vote for the pro-choice candidate because I think they're going to do it in all these different things. And it's going to take a Supreme Court case anyway to overturn this. So I'm not expecting that politician to be able to deliver on that promise. And so therefore, I'm making a different political calculation. I'm still just as pro-life. I still hate this just as much. But Christians can disagree, I think, on strategy. And I think that's where this, like, a lot of this Black Lives Matter thing can go, is that I think Christians should give room for, um, to say, give room for each other to go, there's, there's maybe, maybe protesting's a good strategy, maybe it's not, Christians could disagree, you know, um, maybe, um, you know, doing X or Y, like, so within the bounds of not, of, of what's, obviously there's certain things that are clearly sin, I think those third tier things is that sometimes we take our, our truth, the conviction that we hold, and then how the application, how we're going to live that out, sometimes we make first order issue or second order. Does that make sense? That was kind of a long diatribe, but I think that's really, really critical to leave room for Christians to hold the same truths, yet take different strategies in terms of how they think that's going to best be lived out in their context. So, um, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Sorry to go on a rant there, but... Um, I think those are careful things that people taking a different approach on how to apply them, there needs to be a lot of grace. So I think particularly in a political year with we've got so much kind of going on with us here in 2020 to leave room for Christians to disagree on how they're making their calculations, although they affirm all the same things. So, okay, so he, go ahead. So I'll see you later. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, we didn't even get to the chart, but maybe we can resume that. Um, just glancing at the chart, you know, he talks about um, the goal of every, well, man, where do we even start? He adds a couple categories that your strong conscience can get to the point where it's heretical. Um, that you're making your conscience, I have the freedom, he gives the example in 1 Corinthians 10, I have the freedom not only to eat meat, to go to parties at idol temples. And Paul clearly condemns that in 1 Corinthians 10. Um, so context matters where you're doing a particular act. But then there can also be heresy on the weak conscience that you must, you're adding to the gospel. Um, and so there's a spectrum there that has a lot to do with the disposition of the heart. Any, uh, any thoughts on that chart? Did you reflect on that chart? We're getting into the deep water now. Sorry, Josh, is this the one on 88, 89, or 91, or? 94, page on 90, page 94, the, the full one. The big one. Sort of final big one. I just really appreciate that he shows that you can go, go wrong on either end. Because I think that generally we lean towards one side or the other, kind of naturally, and we only see the, um, danger of the other side and we don't see the danger of the side we're on and so i appreciate you know there's seven different things categories there um and the two extremes are are both wrong so i think that's i just appreciated that yeah yeah i think that's good the the use of arrogance and judgmentalism to replace strong and weak was helpful for me 
because to me, weak is a negative and strong is a positive, but not in this case. It's arrogant and judgmentalism. Yeah. I think one of the things that's striking too, just looking at the chart, is that there are three columns of eats meat and three columns of doesn't eat meat, but they're so you might have the same external practice, but not necessarily the same approach to church life uh, or even your attitude towards brothers and sisters. So, um, so in one sense, you could have a limited type of practice, but a great variety then of the actual capacity in the church for unity and love. Um, I mean, presumably, if you have too many people on the far extremes, you're not going to have a very unified church very long. Um, Right. Right. And he's even saying the way we conduct ourselves even has implications on the gospel that your uh, your strong conscience, if it goes too far on a particular issue, actually can destroy it, distort the gospel by taking something important away. Probably some measure of holiness. Right. Mm -hmm. But your weak conscience, you know, that makes you just so uptight about this thing so much that you're actually adding it to the gospel. You're saying that you believe in Jesus alone, plus you must, you know, whatever. Well, that's heresy, too. But just inside that, there is a um, something short of heresy on either side. That's the arrogance and, and judgmentalism, where you're just turning people off to the gospel because, um, because you're subtracting or adding too much. And then there's sort of this sweet spot in the middle where it's like, okay, there is a gospel affirming, gospel revealing way that you can lean one way or the other and still have a lot of love and grace for each other and actually leave one another alone a little bit. Like he doesn't persuade the strong one to go, hey, bear with the weak one. And then like after three months, whip them into shape. It's like, no, bear with them. How long? Maybe the rest of your life, right? So there's some room within there. Um, that if they're affirming the gospel, they're not adding or taking away from the gospel, um, they're not a reproach to the gospel, then, uh, then we need to bear as long as necessary with those things, with all of us hoping that in time, the Holy Spirit moves us to where we're, we're as free as the Bible intends us to be, and we're as, you know, so, and that's that kind of sweet spot in the middle there is the, which seems to be marked by selflessness, is that one in the middle. Like flexible, like my conscience is free enough that I may not do this thing, or I may, you know, um, depending a little bit there. It's not relativism. That's maybe the danger there is relativism. But. Yeah. So we've kind of got this vertical thing of the tiers, right? Tier one, tier two, tier three, but then we've got kind of this spectrum side to side. So we've kind of got <laughs> both the X and Y axis here of like, where the issue lies vertically in terms of what tier in theological triage, and then what side of that issue in terms of my practice that lands on. Yeah. I have a question. So as we talk about like first, second, third tier issues, like I, I guess I assume that there's a right and a wrong answer for each of those. It's just that on earth, maybe we don't, know the right and the wrong at least on second tier maybe you know there's enough disagreement that can be supported biblically that you know we just we won't know till we get to heaven but probably one's right and one's wrong it can't be both maybe you know 
-hmm. but is that true of like conscience issues or is it not true that there's a right and a wrong I think that second tier issues is that you're convinced there's a right or wrong. Um, but to get that wrong is not damning. Okay. I think that's your second tier. Like, um, right. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's dangerous. You're making it dangerous, but you wouldn't make that necessary. Yeah. This leads to bigger issues, which Sure. Am I, am I, I think so. I think, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So I think that's the second tier. The third tier is there probably right or wrong? Probably. Um, but I could see somewhere there may not be. Like, is it wrong to wear T-shirts to church? There might not actually be a right or wrong there. That might merely be a heart disposition thing. Um, why is the person doing this? What's their heart disposition? You could go the other way, like, is wearing a suit and tie, you know, um, is that right or wrong? Well, I actually, it kind of depends. Is the person doing it to try to gain praise for themselves? Well, that would be sinful. If they're doing it because they feel like in that sense, they're able to happily honor God more in their worship, um, then that would be a, a good thing. So, um, maybe <laughs> like all conscience issues, that kind I of think the ones that I'm not sure that we will get to heaven and go, you weren't supposed to wear t-shirts. That's evil. You know, that's like, well, you know, the hard disposition maybe was more important than the act itself. I think one of the, yeah, I think that's right. I think one of the things that's interesting is how certain principles get fleshed out Oh man, there's my AC unit kicking on. Um, um, the way different principles get fleshed out in cultures, for example, um, like the example of the guy, the missionary from Cam uh, Cambodia, like stepping over the guy's legs, right? I think that it would be wrong for him to do that in Cambodia, but not in the United States. Yeah. Uh, and so in one sense you could say yeah it's clearly there's a right and wrong but it's based on something that can change so i i think that the circumstances can make it right or wrong yeah so there's a there's a a clear principle of respect and honoring people that is universal but it gets fleshed out in different places differently um so that i think that you know you could do the same action in two different cultures and in one you've sinned and in one you're scot-free you know so i think that's kind of one of the things that makes this a little bit complex at times right well even the uh the meat sacrifice to idols you're free to eat meat sacrifice to idols but if you're part of a an active celebration of a demon like that that kind of changes the act a bit if you're just in your home and you weren't sure you were at the meat market and you just bought you know, the best price meat, maybe it was sacrificed to an idol, maybe it wasn't, you don't really know, you're just eating it at home, just feeding your family, don't fear that, because um, the demon's nothing, like, or, you know, or the, you know, the false gods are nothing, like, you're, you're free there, but if you're actively participating in this ceremony, the same act is, no, there's something there, you know, um, uh, so the context matters, I think, like, you think of modesty, you know, 
there would be something that if you were to visit an Amish commune, you would obviously not wear if you were a female or male, right? But you might wear to your own church and be maybe one of the more modest ones there. You know, it's just like, um, so yeah, the context I think does matter a little bit in terms of honor and respect. So it doesn't make it easy, but it, it does, I think, matter. So. Even Auckland had issues like, like the guy that comes to the church wearing a three-piece suit every week and stuff like that. There could also be interpretation interpretation issues where I could sit here and say, man, he's doing that just to show off. And that guy just might not be any issue, whatever. He just simply likes to dress up. It makes him feel good. It makes him put him in a better mood and a mental thing to worship or whatever. He means nothing by it, whatever. It's just because it, he likes it where it's not even technically an issue then. Right. I mean, that's to where we read an issue and it's not even one or vice versa. I spend a lot of my pastoral time not telling people what's right and wrong, but protecting them from each other's consciences. You know, a guy comes in in a suit and a bunch of people go, oh, this must be a guy that's really judgmental. It's like, he's not judgmental at all. You should talk to him. Like, he just feels like in his own heart that he is honoring Jesus in his praise and he hasn't pressed that on anybody. And we should celebrate the fact that he is worshiping Jesus with all his might by doing that. And then if that guy is going, hey, the dress code at your church is kind of disappointing. People really should, you know, stop wearing polos and, and dress up because this is the Lord's Day. I would go, wait a minute. You know, like, um, that is not a requirement um, of loving Jesus. And so uh, spending a lot of time on Christians of, of like, hey, like, don't presume bad motives or sin on that person and realize and give thanks that they are expressing their worship of Jesus a little differently than you, well within their bounds, and um, praise God that people with, that love to wear suits want to come and worship Jesus, and praise God that people that are wearing their Budweiser t-shirt would come, you know, so I mean, there, there would be all kinds of things that maybe you wouldn't, there would probably be limits on that, but, um, but that's the idea is that that's a lot of my time is getting people to kind of stop presuming bad motives and sin of one another and going, hey, <laughs> you should talk. You guys would actually really like each other. Um, and you might, you might, yeah. So anyway, yeah, we should probably stop here. Let's just pause it there. I know that there's so many questions here and uh, we're just now kind of getting down into the weeds, but I hope that some of these categories at least give us uh, a way to make progress. That's really our goal is to just make progress and to just sort of have a, a lens through which to see the differences within our church and know what to be concerned about and what to actually appreciate about others. Um, so, all right, let me pray. And then uh, we all got to go to church, which is not too far for us. Lord, thank you for this time. I know this is, this is tricky here and there's a lot of things for us to think about. Lord, we pray that your spirit would give us wisdom and that we would, uh, uh, we would uh, adjust um, our own consciences accordingly, that we would study well to determine what is the non-negotiables of the faith, what is important um, for our fellowship, but not essential for the Christian faith, and what are those things that we uh, just, can just happily converse about and even try to persuade one another in love, in unity, and what are those things that are not really even worth debating. Lord, I pray that you would change our heart dispositions to be other-centered, um, considerate of the different things that people bring to the table the different decisions they make in their life. Help us to be considerate, respectful, and honoring of those things, 
And may we learn from one another and may we even protect one another's ability to land in different places in these things. So God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you will bring us safely home and that a lot of these issues are temporary because you will return and you will fix all of us <laughs> and the unity will be perfect and eternal. So Lord, we uh, pray that you'd give us tastes of that now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.